Applauding the name of the Lord is not just a social convention. It's not just appropriating something from a concert or, or a production. It's actually biblical. The people of ancient Israel gave applause to the Lord. The clapping of hands was perceived as just as holy and just as worshipful as the clanging of cymbals and gongs and the, the ringing of all kinds of instruments. And so it's true for us today, too. When we clap our hands, we are worshiping the Lord, at least if that's what's in our heart. And I'd like to say that's what's in our heart today. Amen? Talaga? Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. God is good. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. That doesn't mean that every time is easy. It doesn't mean that everything that comes our way is exactly what we would have chosen or exactly what we want. It means that nothing comes our way except through the grace of God and that if we will rely upon the Lord, the Lord will see us through. Sometimes I think that these scriptures that the kids are sharing, I feel as though they're just for me. Am I the only one or do you ever feel like that? You get that sense? The word of the Lord coming to you today through the mouths of babes. And that's what the scripture says, that out of the mouths of children, God has perfected his praise. And what I heard this morning was, don't be afraid, trust in the Lord, and he will see us through. You know, this week has been one in which we experienced a loss, and that's part of life, but it never, it never makes it any easier to recognize that. One of our dearly beloved brethren is with the Lord Jesus Christ. It dawns on me that that's a cause for celebration. I don't say that in any way insensitive to the pain that we feel in our hearts as we grieve the loss here on this side. But recognizing that our brother Vern, Arcelia, is with Jesus is a cause for applause. It is a cause for rejoicing, knowing that this is the fashion by which the Lord has determined to totally heal him. No more effects of stroke. No more effects of Parkinson. No more any disease that disturbs or bothers him because he's been made perfect in the Lord and we'll see him again in the resurrection. Today's mes message is about resurrection. But it's also about destruction. I suppose that's another way of saying that today's message is about death and life. And today is about death and life because that's where we live. But even in the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because we walk with the Lord of life. Now, I wanted to make aware to you at the request of the family, and it is printed in your bulletin, so I'll draw your attention to the back of the bulletin, that there are some gatherings that uh, your participation in would be greatly valued. And certainly please be praying for the Arcelia family. I'm very blessed to see Sister Al and Sister Joan with us this morning. And dear ones, our love goes out to you and our prayers are with you. We stand with you. Thank you for being with us today. I know it's not an easy week to do that and it blesses our hearts to see you. The family will be honoring Brother Vern with a viewing this Friday evening, uh, I actually don't have the updated bulletin in front of me. I believe it's seven to nine, is that correct? Five to nine, forgive me. I've got it in my phone, so trust me, I'll be there. I just don't have it in my head. If it's in my phone, I don't need it in my head, right? That's sort of the modern way. Five to nine p.m., you have it there in print in front of you. At Forest Lawn, this is Forest Lawn Hollywood, the address is there, and we hope that uh, you will be able to come. There will also be a memorial funeral service the following morning Saturday, September 28th, that's this coming Saturday, at 9.30 a.m. in the same location, Forest Lawn, Hollywood. 
Because of this, because we wanted to honor these gatherings, we've decided to take a hiatus. We will not have a Friday prayer and fasting meeting this Friday uh, because our prayer will be taking place at the viewing. So if you would normally be with us on that gathering, perhaps you would consider coming at this uh, homegoing celebration of our brother. Uh, in any case, you can still join us with prayer wherever you are, and we will uh, return to our regular pattern of the final Friday of October. We have, as you know, a ministry team meeting. If you're a ministry team head, I hope you know that, and that's scheduled for that Saturday. It was going to be in the morning. We've moved it into the afternoon, so please do still make a point of being there. It'll be at 2 p.m. Saturday the 28th. It's right there on your bulletin as well, 2 p.m. right over here in the social hall, and we will keep it from 2 to 4 that day. So please make a point of being there if you're a ministry head or a leadership role in our congregation. PSUM will be meeting today. Uh, once again, 2 to 4, I'll be teaching on Synoptic Gospels. 4 to 6, Sister Tammy is teaching on Psalms. And we have the historic Filipino Town Festival coming up in just a couple of weeks on Saturday, October 5th. That's the first Saturday in October. It'll be in the parking lot of what was once known as the Silver Lake Medical Center. It's now called the LA Downtown Medical Center. It's right over here on Temple. And we hope that you will uh, be a part of this gathering. If you're interested in serving at our booth, because we will have a booth, we will be presenting dance, we will be presenting music as part of the program, then you can see Pastor Henji or Pastor Avenida or myself, and we'll give you more information about that. And speaking of exciting upcoming events that reach out to our community, at the end of October, which is not that far away, it's just a little over a month from now, October 31st is a Thursday night, we'll be having our annual Harvest Festival. It's for all families, it's for the entire community. There'll be food, there'll be fellowship, there'll be expressions of faith, there'll be face painting and candy and games and fun. We need volunteers, we need donations, we need your prayers. So if uh, there's anything that you can do to help us with that, you can talk to Pastor Rochelle, our children's ministries pastor, and she will get you situated. And by the way, not to be forgotten, as always, we have our Wednesday prayer meeting coming up this Wednesday, the middle of the week. We'll be meeting as usual right here. Come and join us if you can. Pray with us wherever you are. You can always do that. No matter where you are, prayer is always available to you. And in light of that, let's do some prayer right now. We're going to come to the word of the Lord, so we come to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you that in tender times, in times of need, in times of question, even in times of rejoicing, whatever the season or situation, you never hide yourself from us. You make yourself available to us. If we will simply call upon you, you'll be found. You've said that if we'll seek you with our whole heart, we'll find you. Today, Lord, we seek you with our whole heart. And we look to your whole word, but we also look to that particular portion of your word to which you have called our attention today. And we ask that you would teach us and guide us according to your word, according to your spirit, that we might receive the words of life and that we might also not only be recipients, but agents of that message, that we would be evangelists carrying good news to a world in need, the good news that God in his grace has forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray, amen. It's one of the most famous sermons ever preached. Even if you've never read it or heard it read aloud, it's possible that you've heard the title, but the title is enough to make you shake in your boots. It's called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. 
in July of 1741. That's a pretty long time ago, although not so much by the clock of the Lord, for whom a thousand years are like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. But in 1741, a preacher named Jonathan Edwards brought that message to a congregation in Enfield, Connecticut. He had already brought it sometime prior to his own congregation back home in Massachusetts, where he was centered at that time. And he would bring it many more times, particularly throughout the northeastern uh, area of what would come to be the United States. This was, of course, during the colonial era. A message with such a title, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, Sounds to us like an old-time Puritan kind of sermon, doesn't it? Can't you just imagine somebody with a very white starched collar and perhaps an even starchier attitude banging their fist on some wonderful oaken pulpit and declaring the fires and fears of hell? And that may be to some extent what it was, but there was something of hope in that message. In fact, there was everything of hope in that message. In fact, it was a message of hope. Why do I mention Jonathan Edwards and sinners in the hands of an angry God today because the message that was brought in the middle of the 18th century here in the colonial U.S. is not so very different from the message that was brought by the prophet Amos all the way back in the 8th century B.C. A message that said God is coming to deal with sin and the good news is he wants you to know in advance so that you and I can get right with him. Do you know why Jonathan Edwards' sermon is so notable? Not for its fiery title, not even for its descriptions of hell, but for its effect, the legacy that it brought about, because what it brought about is what you and I call revival. Amen. It's known in the history books, even the secular history books, as the Great Awakening, the first Great Awakening a period of radical Christian reformation, of renewed personal relationship with the Lord that was predicated upon repentance. A heart that said, Lord, I want to be right with you and I recognize there are things wrong in me. Listen, this morning, I recognize there are things wrong in me. And I'm inviting you to recognize that there are things wrong in you. And what I want to say is the word of the Lord to you and I is, I want to destroy the things that are wrong in you in order to resurrect in you what is right. Amen. I want to bring to life in you that which is of me and put to death in you anything that isn't. That's a good proposition. In fact, that's a holy promise. And there is a part of that promise that says, if you won't allow that, then all that can remain for you is that which is destruction. So don't make that choice. But recognize that is a choice that can be made. It's not an easy message to hear about destruction. And that's part of why the Lord includes the promise of resurrection. Today we're concluding a three-part series on the prophet Amos. And this message today is entitled Destruction and Resurrection. Because as we come to the final chapter of Amos, which is what we will look at in some detail today, we come to a message that culminates his entire life's work, if you will. It culminates the, the scroll of Amos, the book of Amos, 
with destruction and resurrection. There's hope to be heard today. I invite you to lay hold of it because this is hope that doesn't disappoint. Now, in uh, coming to this and coming to the conclusion, it's uh, occurred to me and I came across a resource that, that uh, enlightened me that I thought this would be a good way to sort of summarize Amos once again for all of us before we turn the corner and move into a new series. By the way, I'm looking forward to next Sunday's sermon. Our own Pastor Hinge is going to be preaching. And even though I'm finishing this series on the book of Amos today, he's going to be bringing a message out of Psalm 55 on how the Lord bears our burdens that really is part and parcel of the same message of hope. So it'll be kind of an appendix, if you will, a wonderful appendix. Appendix doesn't sound wonderful. I should come up with a better word. It'll be a crowning message, a wonderful gleaming crown of a message that will have something to do with Amos. So it's a good time for us to think again about Amos. And I want to introduce you to something that you may already know, in which case it's not an introduction. But if you don't, I'm excited to make you aware of a resource that you can find online. It's called thebibleproject.com. Have you seen it? Do you know anything of thebibleproject.com? Wave your hand at me if you're aware of this. If you're watching online, don't go there just yet. We want to keep you with us for a little bit, but you can go there later today. Thebibleproject.com is actually a website that you can go to, or you can go to YouTube. I trust you're familiar with that. And you can do a search for Bible Project videos, and I believe they have a Bible Project channel, as it were. And you can find their videos. I highly recommend their resources. The Bible Project is about helping people for free to understand the works of the Bible, particular books of the Bible, genres, that is literary styles of the Bible, um, themes throughout the Bible. That's a big emphasis for them. And personally, that's a big emphasis for me. I think it's really important that you and I, as disciples of the Lord, would see the through line of the Bible. In other words, connect the dots of scriptures. See how there's messages that run all the way through. In fact, as I've been teaching with you out of the book of Amos, in my own devotions, I've been going through the book of Isaiah. I just finished the book of Isaiah this week and uh, have been looking at various different passages out of all of the prophets, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, other of the so-called minor prophets. And um, in fact, I've uh, just started Nahum. And what I found is uh, not novel to me. I'm aware of this, but I've been reminded of the fact that there is such a continuity in the prophets, that they're saying the same thing over and over and over again. And in fact, in my PSOM class, I've been discovering, wow, there's such a continuity with the Gospels and the prophets. In fact, the Gospels are very fond of quoting the prophets. That is, the New Testament biographers of Jesus who wrote about his life, who wrote about his ministry, they're very fond of quoting the Old Testament prophets that came centuries earlier. This is one of the great things that comes from studying the Bible in a lot of different ways, regularly and daily. When you've got a daily devotion, when you've got a weekly class, when you've got a monthly Bible study, when you've got a weekly gathering in church, you'll find that the Lord corresponds all of that for you. He connects the dots for you. But you've got to have the dots there. You know, they've got to be in orbit, right? Your cell phone works because there are cell towers and satellites that are connecting it. Without those, your cell phone is just a very expensive piece of glass and plastic. But when there is something to connect to and someone connecting the dots and networking that information, 
The Bible's a network, and the BibleProject.com helps you to understand that network. So today, I want to invite you to watch a video on the book of Amos. It's a pretty extended video. We're going to take about eight minutes to watch this. Don't use that as an opportunity to go to sleep. You can do that later. I want you to be awake for this. Hopefully, a lot of the information will be review for you because we've talked about Amos in an overview kind of form over the last couple of weeks. But you'll see that they delve into some of the political stuff that I didn't talk about. And you might think, oh, I'm bored by that. But don't be, because it's valuable. If you look at all of the dots here and let the Lord connect them, I promise you that they're going to connect to you. They're going to connect to your world today. So I'm going to ask the guys in the booth, our dear brothers there, if they would bring up this video. And let's watch about the prophet Amos from the Bible Project. The book of the prophet Amos. Amos was a shepherd and a fig tree farmer who lived right near the border between northern Israel and southern Judah. Now the north had seized its independence about 150 years earlier, remember 1 Kings chapter 12, and it was currently being ruled by Jeroboam II, a successful military leader. He won lots of battles and new territory for Israel, and he generated lots of wealth. But in the eyes of the prophets, he was one of the worst kings ever. His wealth had led to apathy, and he allowed idol worship for the gods of Canaan, which in turn led to injustice and the neglect of the poor. And it got to the point where Amos couldn't take it anymore. He sensed God calling him to go trek up north to Bethel, an important city that had a large temple, and start announcing God's word to the people. And this book is a collection of his sermons and poems and visions uttered over the years. They were compiled later to give God's people a sense of his divine message to the northern kingdom, and it's a message we still need to hear today. The book has a fairly clear design. Chapters 1 and 2 are a series of messages to the nations and Israel. Then chapters 3 to 6 are a collection of poems that express Amos's message to the people of Israel and its leaders. Chapters 7 through 9 contain a series of visions that Amos experienced that depict God's coming judgment on Israel. Let's just dive in. So the book opens with a series of short poems that accuse all of Israel's neighbors of violence and injustice. And this is kind of odd because the book's opening line said that Amos was going to speak against Israel. But watch how this works. As Amos is naming all of these neighboring nations, you can go look at a map and see that he's creating a circle. And when he's done, Israel lies right in the center, like a target in the crosshairs. And on Israel, Amos unleashes a poetic accusation that's three times longer and more intense than any of these others. He accuses Israel's wealthy of ignoring the poor and allowing grave injustice in their land, specifically by allowing the poor to be sold into debt slavery and then going on to deny any of these people legal representation. And this, Amos asks, is this the family that was once denied justice and enslaved in Egypt? The family that God rescued from oppression and slavery? The party's over, Amos says. God is done putting up with you. And so the opening of the next section explains why. God says, I chose you, Israel, from among all the families of the earth. This is an allusion to Genesis 12, how God had called the family of Abraham to become God's blessing to all of the nations. And so then God says, so this is why I will punish you for all of your sin. Israel had a great calling which came with great responsibility and so their sin and rebellion brings great consequences. Now this section brings together a lot of Amos's poems and you'll see a few key themes repeated over and over. 
So first, he's constantly exposing the religious hypocrisy of Israel's wealthy and their leaders, and he describes how they faithfully attend the religious gatherings, giving offerings and sacrifices, all the while neglecting the poor and ignoring injustice. And Amos says it's all a sham, that God actually hates their worship because it's totally disconnected from how they treat people. God says a real relationship with him will transform a person's relationships. And so Amos' call to true worship is to let justice flow like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. Now, these two words, they're super important for Amos and actually all of the prophets. So righteousness, or in Hebrew, tzedakah, refers to a standard of right, equitable relationships between people, no matter their social differences. And justice, or in Hebrew, mishpat, refers to concrete actions that you take to correct injustice and create righteousness. And so both of these are to permeate the life of God's covenant people like a rushing stream fills a dry riverbed. The next theme is Amos's repeated accusations of Israel's idolatry. So remember, when the northern kingdom broke away from southern Judah, their king built two new temples to rival Solomon's in Jerusalem, and he placed a golden calf in each. Remember 1 Kings chapter 12. Since then, Israel had only accumulated more idols, worshiping the gods of sex and weather and war. And in the prophet's view, the worship of these gods always led to injustice, because these gods don't require the same degree of justice and righteousness as the God of Israel, not to mention that these gods were immoral themselves, not the God of Israel. He's different. So he can say in one place, seek me that you may live. And then right after that, say to Israel, seek good, not evil that you may live. So true worship of the creator God of Israel, it's synonymous with doing good, with generosity and with justice. And so the final theme in these chapters is that because Israel and its king have rejected Amos and the other prophets, God will send the day of the Lord. This is a great and terrible act of justice on Israel. And specifically, Amos predicts that a powerful nation will come and conquer and decimate their cities and take the people away into exile. And we know his prediction came true. Some 40 years later, the Assyrian Empire swooped in and did exactly as Amos had said. The book closes with a series of visions that Amos experienced, and they're symbolic depictions of the coming day of the Lord. So he sees Israel devastated by a locust swarm, and then by a scorching fire, and then they're being swallowed up like overripe fruit. And in the final vision, Amos sees God violently striking the pillars of Israel's great idol temple at Bethel, and the whole building comes crumbling down. It's an image of God's justice on the leaders and the gods of Israel. Their end has finally come. But then, all of a sudden, in the final paragraph, we see a glimmer of hope. It picks up this image of Israel as a destroyed building, and God says that out of the ruins, he will one day restore the house of David. In other words, he's going to bring the future messianic king from David's line, and he will rebuild the family of God's people, which, surprisingly, we're told, is going to include people from all of the nations. All of the devastation caused by Israel's sin and God's judgment will that day be reversed. Now this final paragraph is super important. It's the only sign of hope on the other side of judgment. And it helps us see how this book is exploring the relationship between God's justice and his mercy. 
If God is good, he has to confront and judge evil among Israel and the nations, but his long-term purposes are to restore his world and build a new covenant family. And so through Amos' words, we still today hear his call to learn from Israel's hypocrisy and disaster and to embrace a true worship of this God, which should always lead to justice and righteousness and loving our neighbor. And that's what the book of Amos is all about. So we can conclude it there. Our friends at the Bible Project continue in their video to make an appeal for them, and I'll do that for them right now. Pretty good stuff, right? I haven't watched every single one of their videos, although I want to, but I have yet to watch one that I didn't think was absolutely spot on. Wonderful theology, and they don't have any kind of uh, denominational or doctrinal axe to grind. They, they're obviously very committed to giving you the purest uh, interpretation of the word that they can muster. And it's also very clear, not only by what they see, say, but by what they present, that they have a clear recognition there that the Holy Spirit is necessary to understand and rightly interpret the word. So I really believe in this, and I want to invite you to use it as a resource for you. You know, don't just depend upon me preaching to you on Sunday mornings. Look to all the wonderful resources of the Word and the commentaries that are available to you in this day and age. You want to do so with an eye towards their accuracy. You don't want to just believe anything and everything that comes in. But that's why I'm giving you this endorsement for the Bible Project. There's good stuff to be found there. Are you interested in what the Bible says about angels and demons? They've got a video on that. Are you interested in how Old Testament and New Testament connect? They've got a video on that. Would you like to know more about other of the prophets? They've got a video on that. So go and take a look at those. And, you know, it may be that at some point I come across something and I think, well, I wouldn't exactly say it that way. But you know what? I'm persuaded at this point that their opinion is at least as good as mine and probably better. So I don't have any hesitation to say uh, watch their videos. And I also want to say they depend upon support. They make these videos available free and therefore they call for people to support them. So you might be inclined to give some money their way. I think it would be a worthy thing. I hope you won't make it a choice between PCF and them. We need your support, too. But allow the Lord in his abundance to give you an overflow to them. I will be showing some more of their videos in future uh, sessions of ours. In fact, when we get to, God willing, our Advent season this year in December, they've got a video that I'm looking forward to sharing with you at that time. But don't wait until then. Take a look and see what you can find on your own. Now, to speak about Amos, there was a lot of information there. I realized that. And that's why I was saying... Hopefully, for most of it, it's a review. But the other good thing is you can watch it again online anytime for free. So feel free to do that. You can pause. You can look at those other references. But now let's talk about some big picture things. Did you lay hold of this aspect that really the message of the gospel is right there in Amos? That if you only had Amos, you still have the gospel. A message about the reality of who God is in his righteousness and... That reality includes judgment against evil, but also mercy, mercy of God. You know, it's not only that the Lord is saying you need to have the right idea about who I am. It's also that he is saying you need to have the right spirit of me in you. I was particularly struck about how this video helped to identify idolatry in a way that might be a little more recognizable to you and I. Because when we think about, I don't know, sacrificing chickens on a stone altar or something, it seems probably very foreign 
and strange to us. But when you talk about people who are giving themselves over to the powers of sex or war or weather, well, that begins to sound a little more familiar to our day and age, doesn't it? And it isn't that political or sensual or environmental concerns aren't important. It's that God is saying the world operates according to ideas about all of those things that aren't mine. And in fact, the Lord says, I'm the God over the environment. I'm God over all governments, leaders, and politics. I'm the God who created sex. It's so funny that very often when we think about God's opinion about sex, we don't think of God as an expert on sex. He is. He created it. I remember Pastor Jack used to like to say, and here I am going to say it, I used to think, what a thing to hear from the pulpit. But he would say, remember, God is the God who created the orgasm. That is true. I know, the room falls into stunned silence. Somehow people don't want to think about God and orgasm in the same sentence. Although there is very often a use of his name. You know what? God created sex. He's Lord over sex. But does our world recognize that? Not in the least. And that means our world puts other things over that power. And those are idols. And when you live your life according to those thoughts, when your behavior aligns with those priorities, you are an idolater living according to an idolatrous manner. And if we as believers think we are immune to that, the scripture actually says, Amos says, look at your own life. I liked also about that idea of the bullseye. The Lord through Amos talks about the surrounding nations, but he's zeroing in, zeroing in on his people, Israel. Well, guess what, PCF, we're his people. The Lord's zeroing in on us. And when you read the word, when you hear from the Lord, when you attend to the spirit, what you'll find is the Lord has a lot to say about the world around us, but what he really wants to get to is you, is me, is the heart of us. And what we'll often find there is we might think that we love him and are living according to his ways, but often what he will show us is there is something wrong in you. And that's what I want to deal with. But the reason he wants to deal with it is to make all things right in you Amen. and me. Amen. Like I said last week, it's the Lord saying, I just want what's best for you. And the best thing for you is me. Amen. That's the message of Amos. That's the message of Jonathan Edwards. But the message of Jonathan Edwards also includes this pivotal Christian concept. You can't make yourself right with God just by trying to clean up everything in your life. You can't make yourself right with God just by knowing all the right things and having an intellectual understanding. What God looks upon is the heart, and the heart is desperately wicked, according to the prophet Jeremiah. Who can know it? Only God who searches the heart. And what God says is, you can't actually make your heart right with me, but I can give you my heart. I can remove your heart of stone that has been given over to stone idols, if you will, that's been given over to dead things, and I'll give you my living, beating, bleeding heart, the heart of Jesus Christ on the cross, pierced and pouring out water that washes clean, blood that purifies. So the message of Christ, 
The message of Jonathan Edwards, the message of the gospel is this, saved by grace and grace alone. No goodness on your part, no goodness on my part, but the goodness of God poured out for us. And that goodness is available to anyone and everyone who will simply recognize I'm a sinner in need of a savior and I want to live in the spirit of his salvation. The burden brings the blessing. We've talked in this series about what weighs us down. And as I mentioned, even next week, Pastor Hinge is going to remind us of the words of Psalm 55, 22. If we cast our burdens on the Lord, he's the one who lifts us up. Humble yourself before the Lord, one of the kids said this morning out of the, out of the word, and he will exalt you. He'll lift you up. So you put your weight on him. Jesus said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll put my yoke on you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Amos is the burden bearer because he's received the message of God to bring to his people. Now, I'm going to skip over a lot of these slides because we watched the video, so we don't need them anymore. Oh, isn't that good? Look at that. We've looked at these, and so let's look next at the next question that we asked in part two of our series. We had said, what's the burden on you today? Whatever it is, bring it to the Lord, and the Lord will see you through. But the question is, who do we belong to? Whose life is it anyway? Who owns your life? In looking at Amos's vision of the summer fruit that was ripe to overripe, what we saw was the Lord saying, the time is up. The way they said it in the video was, the party's over. The time is ripe is the way that the Lord says it to Amos. In other words, your lives belong to me and I'm calling in the marker now, says the Lord to his people. And the days are coming, the Lord says, when it actually will be difficult for people to hear from the Lord. Because when you dedicate yourself to living in a fashion that ignores God, God gives you over to that way. He lets you have your own way. God believes in freedom. God believes in liberty. God believes that people are able to bear the responsibility for their choices. And God doesn't make any bones about it. He doesn't hide or make secret the reality that his way is the right way. But what he does say is if you keep on choosing your way, sooner or later you're going to get it. I'll let you have it. I'll let you have it, says the Lord. And so today, Amos speaks out of the word, out of the ages to us and calls us to account. The bullseye of the Lord is zeroing in on your heart and mine today. God, Amos preached God's word, his burden, so that people would know the truth. How about us? Do we want to know the truth about our lives? Do we want to know the truth about ourselves? Listen, if that doesn't strike a little bit of fear in you, there's one of two things going on. Either you're really deluded about yourself or you're really deluded about God. Because if you have anything beginning to arrive at, at, at any kind of an accurate notion of God, you know that he's so wonderfully good that there is a big difference between you and him, between me and him. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that there are things that need to be dealt with. I know I'm coming down hard. Look, I'm looking at a bunch of really good people, people who live lives that I think are really admirable. So don't get the wrong idea 
I'm not here to tear you down. But this message of destruction, destruction and resurrection, it, it is kind of two pieces of a puzzle. There's a need to come to base, to come to ground, to get down to brass tacks, as the saying goes. And so with us, when we consider the, the burden of God's vision for us, are we willing to, in the words of Henry Nouwen, drink the cup? You know, even if you're living a perfect life, you are aware, aren't you, that the will of the Lord may not feel perfect to you. Do you know how I can say that? There's nobody in the room living a perfect life. Nobody out there online living a perfect life. But there was one who did. He lived a perfect life without any sin. You know that I'm talking about Jesus. And he came to the point of saying to the Lord, let this cup pass from me. The cup of sacrifice on the cross. But whatever your cup is, was in his cup. You realize that's what he was looking at? You think, well, I don't have to look at that, but I'm looking at this. Whatever you're looking at, whatever it is, an issue in your personality, in your relationships, with your children, with your parents, with your spouse, financial, uh, professional, psychological, maybe issues of sexuality, it may be issues of addiction, it may be issues of substance use or abuse, it may be much more mundane than that. It just may be that you struggle with anxiety or depression or you recognize that the pattern in your life is one that you continue to fail and you want to succeed. Whatever it is, that was in his cup. Because when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't go for his problems, he went for ours. And even Jesus, perfect, holy, righteous, divine Jesus said, I don't want to drink this cup. And that's not a sin because he said it. So it can't be a sin because he never sinned. So it's not a sin to recognize this is too much for me to bear or at least to feel that way, to feel that way. But with that was Jesus' dedication to obey Yet not my will, but yours be done. I will drink the cup. And in fact, the cup becomes for you and I the cup of a new covenant. We'll drink it together once again in just a few weeks, as is our monthly practice, to drink out of the cup in which all problems are solved, in which all sin is cleansed, in which all death and destruction is ended so that resurrection can begin. But we've got to be willing to hold the cup, to lift it up, to drink it down, to carry our cross. And even if we're not willing, what God says is the time is coming, and in fact the time is ripe, when you're going to drink the cup anyway. You get that? People say, well, I don't like this arrangement. I don't want to go God's way. God's coming your way. That's what he's saying. I'm on the move. I'm coming to town. You better watch out. (laughs) It's not just Santa Claus, but he is making a list and checking it twice. He does know who's naughty and who's nice. And what he knows is there's no one nice. No, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what he said is if you'll keep this covenant, if you'll drink this blood, if you'll be my body, my righteousness will be yours. But if you won't, then you're going to drink the cup of judgment that you've poured out for yourself. But the blessing of God's timing is that he tells us 
there's something coming next. So today we have a final question to consider. And the final question is, what is coming next? You saw it in that video. And I'm not going to take time to go into depth in the scripture because it's sufficient for you and I to grasp what Amos says through a summary. High and low, the Lord says, he will find and deal with every power and principality and person. He reminds his people in the opening chapters of Amos that the Lord's home is not just high up in heaven, but also rooted here on earth. You know, you hear that saying that says some people are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. And sometimes people think that God is that way, that God is just an absentee manager. You know, where's God? I don't see him, and he doesn't seem to be responding. But here in Amos, the Lord says, I'm all the way up in heaven, and I'm all the way down with my feet planted on earth. In fact, my roots are the foundation of the earth, and my crown is the pinnacle of heaven. What the Lord is saying is, I'm everywhere, and I'm over it all, and I'm in charge of it all, but I'm very much present. And the Lord is also making this claim. He's saying, when I shake my feet, when I shake the dust off my feet, I'm going to shake heaven and earth and everything in it. It's a message that shows up again and again. And the metaphor is almost universally an earthquake. An earthquake like the world's never known. Isaiah talks about it. And you'll find it elsewhere in the prophets. Amos talks about it here. The book of Revelation talks about it. And even last week, we talked about how on the day of Jesus' death, the earth quaked so violently that tombs opened up and people came out of them. The scripture says that. Can you really believe it? You better believe it because it happened. People saw him and wrote about it. It shook so violently, did the earth, that the temple in Jerusalem quaked and the veil was torn in two. And the things that Amos said to the people of northern kingdom Israel, did you catch in the video, they did come to pass? It took 40 years, which is a pretty long time by human standards, although I can remember 40 years ago now. <laughs> and uh, 40 years isn't very much, but if you're waiting for something to happen, especially a judgment, you might easily think, oh, that's never going to come to pass. But it did. And there are other things that Amos said, that Isaiah said, that the Word of God says, the book of Revelation says, that haven't come to pass yet, but they will. They will. They will. I don't know how more emphatic I can say, they will. So we need to get ready for what God says is coming next. And what God says is, there's a shaking, but then... There's a rebuilding. Amen. In that day, I will restore the fallen, says the Lord. Restoring ruins to glory. The temple of the northern kingdom is totally brought down. The government of the northern kingdom is totally brought down. The affluent, the wealthy, brought into dust, taken away in chains. These are real people who really experienced these hardships and they were warned about it in advance. 
Now you and I, we have something to consider. The Lord is saying, I want to tear you down to build you up. Will you let me do that? Imagine the contractor that comes in and says, well, you know what? <laughs> I know you want to redo this room, but the foundation's bad. The pipes are all terrible. The wood is rotten. What I really want to do here is I've got a blueprint. I've got the resources. I want to redo the whole thing, but we're going to have to tear this down before we build it up. You go, oh, boy. Ooh. And everybody tells you, don't do that, right? But the question is, do you have a good contractor? Yes. That's really what makes the difference. <laughs> Anybody who's done, uh, all around the room, people are like, yeah, boy. <laughs> you have the best contractor. Amen. He's the builder. Amen. He's the master builder. Amen. And you know what? He tore himself down yes. to build you and I up. What's coming next for you? I don't know, but Jesus does. What needs to be torn down in you? I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you think you do. But before you get too far along that, remember, the one who knows is the one who loves you best. It's Amen. the Lord who knows. Amen. Only the Lord knows what you need today. Amen. But he's ready. He's ready to work in you today. And I'll tell you what, you've got to have in mind the glory of resurrection the beauty of restoration when you come back and you say this is better than it ever was before or ever could have been so much better I'd never go back I only want to go forward Amen. praising the Lord who raised me from death into life from sickness into health from sin into holiness from desperation into joy Give yourself to him today again in whatever way you need to, in whatever way he's speaking, whatever the issue is, don't hold it back. Give it over to him so that resurrection can begin in you today. Lord Jesus Christ, we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to you. But we carry burdens that you've said we don't have to carry. We bring them to you right now, Lord, and we ask that you would take all of our cares upon yourself, Lord. All around the room, anyone within the sound of my voice or these words, I pray, Lord, that right now they would begin to feel those burdens being lifted as they release them, chains being broken, maybe even healings occurring. In fact, yes, healings occurring in the body, in the mind. Deliverances from bondages of evil, deliverances from sickness, frailty, weariness, discouragement. Lord, invigorate the fire of their faith. Fan the flames of the Spirit in each one of us, we pray today. If there's anywhere, Lord, where any of us are stuck in sin or dedicated to something that we know is wrong, then right now, right now, Lord, we say, forgive me. If, that, if that's part of your prayer, I, I don't think there's anyone that doesn't apply to. I, I need to say it. So I'll say it. If you want to say it with me, you can say it too. Lord, forgive me and deliver me out of sin, out of evil. I repent for anything and everything that I have done that I know to be wrong. And I repent for anything and everything 
that I have done that offends you that I didn't know to be wrong. Make me right in you, Lord Jesus. Amen. And he does it right now by the power of his resurrection life. Amen. Hallelujah.